Heavenly Father, thanks again that you speak the Bible to us. Thank you that you show us your son. Please do um, work by your spirit through your word. Uh, please do help us to understand more of who he is, what he's done, what he is doing, what he will do. And uh, please do uh, cause us to respond in trust to your glorious son. It's in him we pray. Amen. So the people in the story we just, we just read met Jesus. Uh, someone pointed him out uh, or, or brought them to Jesus. Uh, they walked up to Jesus, they talked with Jesus, and Jesus talked with them. So that's how they met Jesus. How can you meet Jesus? So the writer shows us people who were there, but he wrote to them when Jesus had gone back to heaven. When he invites us to meet and get to know and learn to trust Jesus, he's not expecting us to have a vision of Jesus or to imagine Jesus. He's inviting us to meet Jesus in the pages he writes. He's inviting us to meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible. We live in a city of uh, hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children, uh, in a nation of millions, in a world of billions. Uh, We know some of them. Uh, We'll meet some more this year. We'll meet some more next year and how many other years God spares us. How can any of them meet Jesus? So this gospel writer, he keeps saying, meet Jesus. He says, come and see him, get to know him, as you see other people meeting him. That's one reason why he lets us hear these different people speak about Jesus. Each of them expands and adds to our understanding of who Jesus is. Before we follow this story, uh, let's listen to what the different people say about Jesus. Uh, Verse 36, uh, he's the Lamb of God. Verse 38, the rabbi teacher. Verse 41, Messiah Christ. Verse 45, he is the person Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about. Verse 49, he's rabbi, the son of God, the king of Israel. Verse 51, the son of man. I want to take a little while to look at what each of those things say. Uh, I've changed the order. We're going to look at them. We won't look from top to bottom. But you'll see why I'm changing the order as we go through them. First, verse 45. Jesus is the person Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about. Jesus was expected. God has been speaking about him since Moses. Now, Moses died 1,400 years before Jesus was born. Uh, he wrote about Jesus in Genesis, Exodus, Exodus Leviticus, Deuteronomy, sorry, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Um, but it's not just Moses who wrote. Between when he died and when Jesus was born, other prophets wrote about Jesus. During those 1,400 years, God spoke through his prophets so that when he sent his son, would have words to describe him. Do you know what I mean? The, the words 
we hear people use to talk about Jesus in the New Testament track back to what God said through Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament. They make sense because they have that history. And the words have that history because God spent 1,400 years getting things ready for when he would send his son. When we hear John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God in verse 36, it connects back to verse 29 where he pointed to Jesus and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now the Old Testament built that connection. It built that connection between lamb sacrificed and sin taken away. Between lamb sacrificed and sins forgiven. Moses wrote about it, about Passover and atonement and daily sacrifices. Lamb's death took away sin. They brought forgiveness. The prophet Isaiah wrote about a man, God's servant, who would be pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him would be the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, uh, we would be healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, this person, the iniquity of us all. So when John points and says, that guy over there, Jesus, he is the Lamb of God, we can understand what he's saying because it taps into what God has been saying for centuries about his Son. Jesus is the person whose death will take away sin. He is the person whose death will bring forgiveness. So that means he is the person whose death can bring you forgiveness. Whatever your history, whatever you've done to people, whatever you've thought about God, however you've raged against God, Jesus is the person whose death can bring you forgiveness. Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about him. In verse 41, Andrew says Jesus is the Messiah, which means Christ. Uh, Both words uh, mean the same thing. They both mean anointed one. And Moses uh, and the prophets wrote about anointed ones. Uh, Anointed priests and anointed prophets, anointed kings. They were all anointed with oil. So go wide in the New Testament and you'll actually see that Jesus fulfills all of those roles. Prophet, priest, and king. Here I think we see prophet and king. So verse 38, uh, when Andrew and the other disciple called Jesus Rabbi Teacher... They're saying they want to be taught by him. But remember who they're leaving to be taught by Jesus. They're leaving a prophet who has, in order to be taught by Jesus. And the writer has introduced Jesus to us as the word who became flesh and dwelt among us. There's no clearer word from God than the word who was with God in the beginning. He is the one who utters the words of God. Chapter 3, verse 34. So when Andrew and the other other disciple uh, called Jesus Rabbi Teacher, I think we're supposed to be thinking, you've barely begun to grasp who you're talking to, who you're beginning to follow. We're supposed to be thinking, you see, Jesus is the anointed prophet who utters the words of God. See, that means he is the person who can tell you what God wants for you and what God wants from you 
and what God offers you. To hear him is to hear God who sent him. To reject him is to reject God who sent him. To accept him is to accept God who sent him. Jesus is the person you must listen to because he speaks God's words to you. Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about him. In verse 49, when Nathanael calls Jesus son of God and king of Israel, he's basically saying the same thing twice. Uh, our, minds, our minds probably go most naturally to thinking about Jesus as king when we hear the word Messiah or Christ. Uh, this, this one, that one here. Uh, Moses uh, wrote that uh, Israel's kings must know and keep God's law and, and rule in line with his commands. God spoke his promise to King David through a prophet in 2 Samuel chapter 7. He, God said, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. One of David's descendants will be king. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Son of God. Psalm 2 expands that expectation. So chapter 2, verse 7. Psalm 2, verse 7 says, I will tell the decree... The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with an iron rod and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth and everyone who follows them. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. See, Jesus is the anointed king. The one who will rule over all things. The one who is able to save his people. That means he rules over you. You're either his rebel, you're either a rebel or a subject. Uh, the Psalm speaks it as a warning and an, inv- an invitation. It's not safe to stay at a distance from Jesus. But there is complete safety from God's judgment and from human opposition for all who come to him. Jesus is the king you must obey. And he is the ruler who can bring his people safely home. Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about him. In verse 51, Jesus says about himself as the Son of Man, Truly, truly, I say to you, uh, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, this brings us to two places. One is where that phrase, Son of Man, comes. Jesus is talking about himself. And he's grabbed those words out of Daniel chapter 7, where the prophet Daniel wrote, Uh, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. Listen to what it says about him. He came to the ancient of days, he came to God, and was presented before him. And to him the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Daniel's describing a glorious human, one who comes to God, one who's given authority, one who rules eternally. 
It's got a little lot of overlap with saying Jesus is king. But Jesus connects it to some other words. Uh, He connects those words that the prophet Daniel said with words that Moses wrote about Jacob's dream in Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. Uh, Jacob dreamed a ladder, a ladder, this is from Genesis chapter 28, a ladder that's set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. They're going up and down. Daniel glimpsed Jesus' eternal role. Moses wrote about Jacob's glimpse of a connection point between heaven and earth. And Jesus brings those two together. He says he is the eternal ruler, and he is that connection point between heaven and earth. Jesus is the place where heaven and earth meet, where God and humanity meet. Now, lots of Christian, sorry, not, no, lots of Christian, lots of first century Jews, uh, were hoping for an earthly and political Messiah, Christ King. They wanted to be free of the Romans. Jesus described himself as son of man and ladder to redirect their expectations. To redirect their expectations to the greater and truer spiritual and eternal fulfillment. He's speaking about himself and his rule is eternal. He brings the blessings of heaven to people on earth. It's not safe to say at a distance from Jesus, but there is complete safety from God's judgment and human opposition for all who come to him. Because he does rule. Jesus is the eternal ruler you must obey. And he is the ruler who can bring his people safely home to heaven. Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote about him. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the Christ Messiah, uh, the perfect teacher because he is the anointed prophet, the eternal king and son of man uh, who, who closes the distance between heaven and earth. Really the whole of John's gospel. The writer is saying, meet Jesus. Come and see him. Get to know him. Get to know him as you see other people meeting him. See him, see what he does, hear what he says. The writer wants you to walk away from reading with a clear understanding of who Jesus is, of what it means for you to trust him. He's doing what John the Baptist did. He's pointing to Jesus and hoping you'll go to Jesus. He's hoping you'll follow Jesus and follow with growing confidence that God has already forgiven you through what Jesus did for you when he died. He's hoping you'll follow Jesus and obey Jesus because you recognize the reality of who he is as God's eternal king and that he is much better placed to rule you well, to tell you what's best than you are yourself. Now, perhaps you're still getting your your head around all this stuff about who Jesus is. Uh, It's new enough that you need to understand more. Well, lean in and listen to the writer. Read the rest. Uh, Read it with us. Get to know Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Perhaps you already know and trust him. Well, keep coming. Uh, Keep getting to know him better. 
I keep coming back to meet him again and again in the pages of the Bible. Keep opening your head and heart, your thoughts and conscience, will and passions to the reality of who he is, what he has done, is doing, and will do. Keep coming to Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Now, we've looked at what's said about Jesus in this part of the story. Let's go back briefly and let's follow the line of the story. Let's look at what happened. It's a story about disciples saying to other people, come and meet Jesus. In chapter 1, verses uh, 19 to 34, the writer described two days. On the first day, John the Baptist told questioners his job is to be a pointer. He pointed to Jesus. Uh, In verse uh, verse 23, his job is to point and say, the Lord Yahweh God is coming, get ready. The next day, verse 29, he points to one person in the crowd, Jesus, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. But the thing is that up to verse 34, John the Baptist says it, but no one seems to listen. Verse 35 is a new day. John is standing with two of his disciples. They are his disciples. They are his learners. In verse 35, they're standing with their teacher, and over there, not far away, John sees Jesus walking past. John points so the disciples know exactly who he's talking about, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Look over there. That man over there is the person I've been teaching you about. He is the person whose death will bring forgiveness. Basically, John's saying, Go and meet Jesus. And John's disciples do the obvious thing. They leave John and follow Jesus. John has brought them as far as he can. He's done his job pointing, and they go where he points. They follow Jesus. They call Jesus Rabbi Teacher. Uh, Mentions there it's the 10th hour since sunrise. That's about 4 p.m. So it's going to be dark soon. They stay around. They're taught by Jesus. But then in the next few verses, Andrew brings his brother. Though interestingly, Andrew is introduced as his brother's brother. It's because of when the writer wrote. Uh, The writer assumes that everyone has heard about Simon Peter, but might not know who Andrew is. So Andrew is Simon Peter's brother. Uh, He finds his brother Simon and says, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Between what John the Baptist said and what Jesus himself has said, Andrew is now convinced that Jesus is the Messiah Christ who Moses and the prophets wrote about. Andrew tells his brother he's found the person God promised and he brings his brother to Jesus. And that's when Jesus uh, renamed Simon and called him Peter, Rocky. Uh, Perhaps the new name is a hint that he will be a completely different person now that he's following Jesus. Certainly what we've seen is Andrew bring his brother and Jesus welcome him. Verse 43 is another new day. Jesus decides to go north to Galilee. Uh, He finds Philip, calls Philip to follow, and we're left to assume that Philip did follow. Then we're told that just like Andrew's first instinct was to bring his brother, Philip's first instinct is to find his friend. He tells Nathaniel they've found the one God promised. 
And Nathanael is unimpressed when he hears that Jesus is from Nazareth. Now, maybe there's a bit of prejudice against a country town, Nazareth. Or maybe he's thinking, hey, there's nothing in the Old Testament about someone, someone significant coming out of Nazareth. Whatever it is, Philip says, come and see. And verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him. And Jesus said to him, said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answers him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So the skeptic is convinced. He came to Jesus because his friend asked him to come, and Jesus did the convincing. Now, Nathanael here was convinced because Jesus knew things about him that Nathanael couldn't explain. Nathanael recognized Jesus' supernatural knowledge, and that was enough to convince him. People sometimes talk like um, Christian faith is the ability to believe in spite of the evidence. I don't see that in the Bible. More often I see people refusing to believe in spite of the evidence. Read the rest of John, that's certainly what you'll see. But look at Nathanael here. His faith, his belief was because of what he saw and heard when he came to Jesus. The evidence convinced him. Jesus convinced him. And at the end of verse 50, Jesus says, you will see greater things than these. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Read the rest of the gospel and Nathaniel and Philip and Peter and Andrew are there seeing everything. Everything from water turned to wine to Jesus giving life to four-day dead Lazarus to Jesus himself rising from the dead. They say things to convince them that Jesus really is the one Moses and all the prophets wrote about. See, it's as Jesus is lifted up in crucifixion and then raised up to rule, that Nathaniel and the others uh, saw him close the distance between heaven and earth. They see Jesus, they see him prove that he is the person who brings people to God. I asked earlier, how can you meet Jesus? Well, we meet him and get to know him, and trust him for forgiveness, and obey him as king, as we see him in the pages of the Bible. Whether you're taking first steps towards him, or whether you've been with him for years, see him in the Bible, and you see him as he really is. The man whose death can bring forgiveness. The man you must listen to because he speaks God's words to you. The eternal ruler you must obey, and who can bring his people safely home to heaven. Keep soaking in that truth, the truth of who he is, of what he's done, of what he is doing, of what he is will do, is, sorry, what he will do, do, and keep putting your trust in him. You can rely on his death to deal with all the dirt and damage and dishonor you've done. Your best is to submit 
to his good and loving rule. And if you're trusting him like that, then what he's done for you and what he is to you is something to share. It's the obvious thing to do. Andrew brought his brother, Philip brought his friend. They love them by sharing the good news about Jesus. They brought them to Jesus. That's how people have been coming to Jesus for centuries. Uh, Here in our city, hundreds of thousands of men, women, and children uh, haven't met Jesus. Uh, We know some of them. This year we'll meet a few more, next year a few more, and on beyond as long as God spares us. How can any of them meet Jesus? Well, short story, when one of us says, come and see, come and meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Longer story, we'll mostly do it with people uh, we know, uh, people who know we care about them. And this is a critical way for us to care for them. It can be as simple as an invite to church, but often it's a longer journey. It can feel weird to bring up um, gospel things. It can be difficult to know um, where to take the conversation. So I want to mention two resources today. Uh, First is Sam Chan's books and videos and the rest. Uh, He's an Aussie who gets the world we live in. The book he published last year, um, the title is How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. How to Talk About about Jesus Without Being That Guy by Sam Chan. It's a good one. It's full of practical tips uh, for everything about from merging uh, your Christian and non-Christian universes uh, to telling a better story which uh, makes our friends wish that Christianity was true to telling them stories about Jesus and a bunch of other things. It's a helpful book, and you'll find it useful if your heart longs to say, come and see, come and meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible, but you're struggling to go on and do it. It's a good resource. The other resource I mentioned is the one I mentioned earlier on, the word one-to-one. You could just read John's Gospel or any other part of the Bible uh, with a friend who's intrigued by Jesus. Uh, Some of us has done that, and it's great. You, You can just do that. The word one-to-one is a tool to make it easier. It takes the pressure off needing to be able to explain some of the things your friends might not uh, be aware of. It helps focus the conversation on what God says about his son. So as I mentioned earlier, there's a link um, to the resource itself and to Thursday's training in Sojournal. There are helpful resources. Grab them and use them. Uh, Talk to me, talk around the place about what other things there are that are helpful as we aim to say to others, come and say, meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And pray. Pray that through us and our partners in Brisbane and Australia and the nations, many, many, many men, women and children who are unforgiven and would otherwise face judgment will meet Jesus and come to know him as their glorious Savior. Pray that for our joy and for their good and for God's glory, 
that they will come and meet Jesus in the pages of the Bible and trust him as the man whose death has brought them forgiveness and the eternal ruler who they gladly obey will bring them safely home to his heaven. Let's pray. Our great God and heavenly Father, we thank you that we know you through your Son, that he has closed that different distance uh, between heaven and earth, that he's revealed you so that we can see you as you are, not just see you, but know you as Father who forgives. Father, we praise you for your Son who did uh, come to give himself, who came to die to bring forgiveness. Your Son who is raised and rules and gives eternal life to all who trust him. Father, please do fill our heads and hearts with the reality of who he is to us and the reality of those we're placed in relationship with their great need of Jesus. Please help us to speak about him. Please help us to bring others to him, uh, to introduce them to him in the pages of your Bible, which speaks so clearly about our Savior. It's in him we pray. Amen.